Heyo, welcome to Level Up. I am Frank, and today I am joined by Kyle. Kyle, how you doing, man? Hey there, Frank. Doing great. Uh, what have you been doing lately, man? I know you're streaming a lot, right? Oh, no, no. I Not too much. Uh, mostly just been focusing on preparing for Shadowlands, World of Warcraft, and I've been mostly spending my time just getting caught up in things I've left undone in the past expansions. Yeah, that's a good call. I've been doing that as well, uh, especially I've been kind of like finishing up old games too, and I know I won't be visiting in a while, anytime soon. Uh, I actually just heard today, based off of um, the sales calls for Activision, Shadowlands is reaching like Wrath of the Lich King numbers. Isn't that nuts? That's pretty big. Yeah, that that's is. huge. Yeah. A lot of hype behind it. Hopefully everything goes well. They just went through and did a bunch of nerfs and changes, so everybody's like expectations are changing as, as time comes up. I cannot wait to play Shadowlands. It's going to be really good. Yeah, same. I'm taking some time off for it. I'm getting ready. I'm really hyped for it. I think it's going to be a great expansion. Yeah. Uh, join us on the stream, guys. We're going to be doing the uh, charity stream that night, so we'll have more details on that in the future, but that'll be really fun. All right. Today, we are talking about Red Dead Redemption 2. Uh, how long ago did you play this game? For me, it played at launch, and I kind of took a break in between, got back into it at the beginning of 2019. I think I finished it in March or April Okay. of 2019. Okay, not too bad. Yeah, not too bad. For me, it was about five months ago. Um, so uh, this is a regular level up, guys. So we're going to be going through multiple levels. We're going to be talking about story, gameplay, design. Uh, this game was made by Rockstar North. They, they're basically Rockstar Studio, but the division of it was Rockstar North. Uh, and then, of course, published by Rockstar. And uh, it came out on October 26, 2018. It was Game of the Year for like a bunch of things. I remember in 2018, it was a huge. A lot of Game of the Year awards, yes. Yeah. Uh, notable, the main competition was, I think, God of War. Which is stiff competition, actually. That is yes. impressive to, to take that one out. Whenever we talk about games like this, we usually try to bring up any major personnel. Uh, and what's interesting about Rockstar Games, and this one in particular, uh, they have a lot of in-house guys, in-house composers, in-house writers. And so that's why a lot of the games seem similar. Does that, does that ring true to any other studios you can think of? Oh, I mean, uh, aside from Rockstar, I mean, I know of several, like, for example, uh, from studios for the Dark Souls series, they've got a lot of the same crew making those. And I also want to mention uh, more than likely Santa Monica Studios. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of them have stuck together through the God of War development. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of shakeups recently with development studios, but yeah. I mean, there's still a few around that are got the original crew, so to speak. It's impressive when you think of how diverse these games are. Yes, the gameplay is quite similar, right? But I mean, you have the ability to capture, uh, you know, San Andreas and then also the Wild West and, you know, the campus life of Bully to have the same composer for all those and the same writers. It's a pretty impressive, in, in my opinion, to be able to have a team that's putting out such big hits consistently. Game after game. It's pretty good. Indeed. All right, so we're moving into our tutorial, and this is where we're going to get a summary of the game. Kyle, you're going to be given one minute. I'm firing up the timer <laughs> here in a sec. Okay. It's your choice how you want to summarize this game, okay? So you do whatever you want to do. All right. Sure. And we're going now. All right, so Red Dead Redemption 2, a sequel to Red Dead Redemption 1, is in fact a prequel to the first game, but it's a sequel as well if that makes sense. But yeah. basically, uh, this follows the story prior to Red Dead 1, how John was influenced by the events of the past. And you mainly uh, embody the role of Arthur Morgan, 
he's the main protagonist. And through the, his experiences, you learn what ends up happening to Dutch's gang, which is a huge plot point for the entire series or the franchise. 20 seconds to go. And basically, other than that, story-wise, gameplay-wise, I always like to use this metaphor. It's Westworld, the game. <laughs> That's how I like to describe it. Not bad, actually. So it's yeah. a wide open rest. You know, you can do whatever you want in it. Gameplay-wise, it's I enjoy the hell Three. out of it. Two, one. Good one. Yeah, Westworld. Yeah, the game. Which Westworld would make a really good game. <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it. It would. <laughs> uh, you, you did bring up Red, Red Dead Redemption 1, and then it's also Red Dead Re- Revolver that's out there. Have you played Revolver? Yes, I did, actually. Yeah, I played that even before Red Dead Redemption came out. What was Revolver and... like? Can you kind of break that down a little bit? Yeah, Revolver, it was more of a linear-style game. It was an open world, and the game was broken up into chapters. Okay. So it followed a very linear story-based narrative. And basically, I don't remember too much of the game. It's been so long since I played it. But you play Red, and his father is killed in front of you know, the main character. Mm-hmm. And as Red, your whole uh, purpose in the game is to seek vengeance. And if I remember right, the main villain, he's like the governor of the whole state that you're in. Oh, wow. I could, I could be wrong. But uh, it's just really small levels that are kind of like, not turret sections, but kind of like small maps where you have to clear out all the enemies in, in waves. Okay, yeah. So it feels, it, that kind of sounds like almost like an arcade shooter, really. Basically, yeah. That's the best way to describe it. Okay. I think for a lot of people, they don't even realize that there was another game. They think Red Dead 1 and 2, you know? Exactly, yeah. I mean, uh, I think there's a nod or two to the original Red Dead Revolver and Red Dead One. Oh wow! Um, but don't quote me on that. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that that I haven't played that. I played Red Dead Red Dead One, and I'm assuming you played it as well. Oh yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I really love that story. Do you feel that you had to play Red Dead One before playing Red Dead Two? That is a good question. Um, I would say it's not vital, but it helps you appreciate the second game more if you play Red Dead 1 first. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. It's kind of like the Star Wars franchise. You could watch the prequels first and then get into the original trilogy. But I think some of that uh you know, ooh and ah, the whimsicalness of it. Yeah. Like the wonder of it when encountering those characters in the past. I think that's taken away if you play them in chronological order. Yeah, there there's a lot of those moments where you're just like, "Oh, that's Jack Morrison." I know it's going to happen with or Mar- or Marston. I know it's going to happen with Jack and stuff like that. And it's, it yeah, does help yeah. a lot. You know, um, it does remind me of that meme of like Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> like, I get that reference, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, it's a, both are really great games. And uh, let's go ahead and start digging into the story here for uh, Red Dead Redemption 2. Uh, spoiler warning, super spoiler warnings, guys. We're going to go over some of the biggest twists and turns. Uh, there's one in particular that that's heart wrenching. <laughs> we're going to go over. So uh, spoiler warning as we go ahead. But uh, we start the game off. The the gang is kind of hiding. They're led by uh, the man named uh, Dutch. They're hiding in these mountains after a uh, botched Blackwater robbery. I found it interesting that we really didn't get a lot of details on the water, uh, the, the Blackwater robbery. What do you what are your thoughts on that? Kind of leaving something so vague. I think to start the game off with, I think they had to establish that this was the Dutch Vanderlyn gang, and you know we've seen that from Red Dead 1, 
like how it affected John. Yeah. So I think it's good to start the game off with a big bang. And I know they kind of glossed over that whole robbery, but I think it helps, you know, bring the characters all together in a confined space and have them interact with each other, Mm -hmm. like for dialogue and for character development. So I think it was a good way to start off the game. I know it's been uh, criticized as being slow, you know, to start. Yeah. But I think it helps you introduce the world as it is. Because for me, it was really exciting at the end of that first part of the game when you rescue John from the wolves. Yeah. You just see how visceral this entire world is and how dangerous it is. It's a great introduction to what is expected to come. That's that is a good moment there, too, where you realize, oh, now I know where John got his scars on his face right from the wolf attack. Uh, yeah, exactly. Explain those scars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a little bit of extra knowledge for those, you know, a little bit of a perk for those who played the first game. Uh, Blackwater, we actually we visit that in the first game and it's kind of the end area in the first game. It is. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember them referencing any big robbery in the first game. I know it's probably been a bit for you and it was for me as well. Uh, I don't really remember anything there. Do you remember anything with that? It's been too long. I don't know. Uh, so, um, yeah, so, they ha- so they're so they all hiding out in these mountains, and it does take a while to get through there. I have heard the same complaint, that the game's a little slow in the beginning. Uh, I approach this game because I just love Westerns so much as kind of like a long HBO or AMC series, that I was, and it, I, was real, I was rewarded in that, that mindset. Uh, do you think that, that people need to change their anticipation for this game, like not, not go in just thinking you're going to you know sling guns? I mean, more so than the first game, I think, this one is more so focused on the individual character interactions you have with each of the crew. I mean, there's multiple conversations that you can have with all the NPCs. And for me, some of the most, you know, highlight worthy moments when I streamed red dead Two were those interactions. Like there was a time. Well, we'll probably get into this more often later in level two, but there's a lot of mini events that you can do with interacting with the whole gang. And from those interactions, you just get some really good moments. Yeah. Yeah. The characters, we'll get into the characters, but man, there are some that are just, they stick with you. They really stick with you. They do. They really do. All right. So uh, eventually, no, the crew's leaving the mountains and stuff like that. They, uh, they do decide to rob a train, classic Western move. Uh, The train is owned by an oil baron named Cornwall. Uh, and then Cornwall eventually hires the Pinkertons to hunt them down. We've seen the Pinkertons from the first game as well. Uh, they're very you know, well-known, corrupt detective agency from the past. Um, and, and so, yeah, this was kind of the first big event. Do you remember that that, rob- that train robbery? Oh, yeah, that was great. Uh, good set piece to kick things off with, like working all together in the gang, making that go off without a hitch. That was really cool to see, like the Dutch Vanderlyn gang at their prime. Yeah. It was a lot of fun, really. You know, again, I'm thinking this is a serious thing. This is kind of your mid-season break right here. So now everybody goes, takes that Christmas break <laughs> off. We're good. Uh, they go into uh, a camp. They're constantly moving camps. The first camp is outside of a town uh, of Valentine. And they're doing odd jobs here and there. Kind of just, it's that first phase, right, where you're kind of learning what, what you can do. Go capture horses, stuff like that. Uh, with a constant threat that the Pickertons are going to find you. And eventually they do with a giant shootout ensues. Uh, do you have anything memorable from the town of Valentine, your first town that you, you have associated with? There's plenty of memorable moments. I mean, uh, for me personally, there was a time where soon after 
you know, exploring the immediate area around Valentine, I returned back to town, just riding in with all my glory, like, hey, I just, you know, <laughs> did this bounty, or I just brought back this animal for, you know, meat to sell. And I ride past the saloon, and all of a sudden, this dynamic event occurs where a guy is thrown out of the saloon window. Yeah. I immediately, you know, pull back. I'm like, whoa, what the hell's going on here? Yeah. And these two guys are fighting over here. Like uh, one of the guys, uh, his wife. And apparently, you know, the other guy was having an affair with her. Right. And I was like, oh, my God, this is crazy. And they're just fighting each other in the mud in the middle of Valentine. And supposedly the man who was having the affair won over the husband. <laughs> <laughs> so I decided to follow him in, you know, cause he's, you know, beat the hell up. So I guess he's grabbing a drink from the, you know, the bartender. Yeah. And I start interacting with him and he starts fighting me. I'm just like, Oh my God, this is crazy. And I eventually accidentally kill him <laughs> and I got a bounty on my head. I'm like, Oh geez, what did I do? <laughs> That's those accidental like, Oh, I didn't mean to aim and shoot. I'm sorry. <laughs> Somebody. Yeah, said. exactly. Exactly. Uh, one of the things that I remember the most from Valentine is there is a quest. And throughout this game, you do have kind of these moments where you could do the right thing or not. Um, there is a guy that like randomly says, oh, I recognize you guys from Blackwater. And you're like, oh, shoot. Yeah. You have to chase him down. And he eventually is hanging from a cliff. And you could either pull him up and tell him, go and don't say nothing, or you can kill him. Do you remember that quest? And if you do, which way did you go? I think I saved him, if I recall. Okay. Why, why would you say that? Uh, just I like to play Arthur at the time as the good guy, the straight guy. So I think he's like the inherent good in all of us. Yeah, that's how I played his character. It seemed to make sense to me. Okay, that's what I wanted to hear is how you played Arthur. So for me, the way I played Arthur was like family first. Like I will be as good as I can be as long as it's the best for the gang. I, oh, okay. I killed that dude. <laughs> so, <laughs> I felt bad, but I was like, man, you're not gonna stay quiet. So yeah. Um, but yeah, there's these moments that are like. I feel I felt myself really getting attached to Arthur and those little decisions really helped a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of those morality based events where you're in the moment and you have to make a quick decision. And depending on how you played the game, I like for me personally, it really made me attached to him as a character. Yeah, yeah. It even changes the ending, which I didn't know that until after until I was doing yes. research on this. I just assumed the ending I got was the right ending. But yeah. Uh, all right, so eventually the Pickertons find us. We have a shootout in Valentine, and we escape to Rhodes. Now, of the different areas, Rhodes was my favorite. We're going to kind of jump ahead a little bit of this, but do you have a favorite of the areas? Actually, for me, it was uh, Valentine, oh, what? that whole area. Yeah, I didn't enjoy Rhodes that much. Okay. Uh, well, let me explain Rhodes for everybody. So Rhodes was kind of this, we're talking about more of the southern kind of swampy area. Uh, the big idea is that there are two dueling houses. One controls the sheriff's uh, sheriff and the town. The other one has a big plantation, um, and it's the Greys and it's the Braithwaite's. Uh, so when the gang gets there, they, there's this rumor that one of them has a lot of gold. So they're kind of working both sides, right? Uh, eventually, <laughs> when that doesn't work out, everything falls apart. We get attacked. We get ambushed by the Greys in town. We finish them off. Then we head back to find out the Braithwaite's kidnapped jack which is john mariston member of the gang and the the protagonist for the original game uh so we have to go in there we burn down their house and it's a whole mess uh what didn't you like about the roads area uh for me personally i felt like it went on too long i felt like the whole 
conflict between the two families was a bit of a drag. Yeah. I had more fun just making my own stories up and playing in the world itself at the time. I see. And for me, the main story was kind of like, okay, now I have to sit through, you know, such and such cutscenes to get back to the gameplay. And at this point, I was really enjoying my free time, like just exploring as much as I could. And the main story missions, while they were good, I had this urge to go out into the world and do my own thing more so than advance the story. That's a really good point. I, I found my, I found myself really interested and invested in what's going to happen with Dutch and the gang. But there were so many times where, like, for example, for me, I never used the taxi system. I always would ride my horse just because I really enjoyed exactly. riding my horse. Is the same yep. thing for you? Okay. Yep. 100%. Yeah. So it's just such a wonderful world to live in. So you, why waste it? You know? Um, but yeah. Okay. So next up in the story, then the gang hands to San Denise. Now, this is a huge change for us because it's such a big city, right? Compared to, you know, living out on the wild more. Uh, and then here we get eventually, we rob a bank. The Pickertons find us again. They're always on our tails. Uh, and we go to a boat to Cuba and we end up being castaways in Guarma, an island of Guarma. And we help an enslaved population take over a sugar plantation and then head back to the U.S. That entire island phase, that was such a big departure from the rest of the game. It was a little bit welcomed at the time because San Denise was kind of like, it was a big city. There was a lot to do there. So it was kind of nice just be out on an island. And, uh, you know, shipwreck thing was such a big change. I liked it. But what did you think? Yeah, for me personally, uh, after the Braithwaite section, that's when I stopped playing the game. I put it down for a few months. Okay. And I came back to it, you know, going into San Denis. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I was thinking, oh, wow, this really opened up. Like, you've got this whole eastern section of the map. Yeah. And, man, it just felt so massive at the time. At that point, I think I just needed a break from it. Yeah. <laughs> Not to get you know anyone mixed up or anything. I enjoyed the game. But at that point, I think I was just needing to do something different. And when I came back to it, I started off in San Denis and got into all of these main story missions in the city. And the plot really started to escalate. Like You could see the rivalry between the different members of the gang yeah. come, to a, come to a standstill. And that, to me, was the most interesting dynamic of the whole uh, gang interaction system, was seeing all these different perspectives and how people were feeling leading up to that bank robbery that made them all, you know, split up, basically. Yeah, and, and then during that bank robbery, again, spoiler alert, I want to just reiterate that. Yeah, we lost some people. We lost some people. <laughs> uh, Lenny and Hosiah. Uh, man, to me, Hosiah leaving was like, that's the soul of Dutch. That's the guy's keeping him grounded. And it was sucked to see him go. It was interesting because uh, he was the check to Dutch's balance, basically. Yeah. Like uh, they were yin and yang exactly. in philosophy. And that to me was one of the most interesting parts of the whole uh, dialogue system in general was to see these different perspectives. And of course, when they, you know, get to an end to a standstill, you see that Dutch's perspective was the winner overall. Yeah. And it came to a bloodbath basically, which yeah. is unfortunate. Cause that's where Dutch would have taken it. Like he's, yeah, he's a madman, but. I, I don't know. It's something about, you know, the voice actor is very good and it's his name is Roger Clark and it's just, oh no, no, that's uh, uh, his name is Benjamin uh, Byron Davis. Uh, it does such a good job. It's like, I, I would just follow this guy knowing that he's bad. <laughs> I would probably just don't follow this. Yeah. Guy. I mean, there's a point in the story where, 
you know, you want to believe everything Dutch tells you. And that makes sense. He has so much charisma and silver tongue. But that bank robbery in particular, that's when you see the dark side of Dutch and you see him diverting away from his, you know, his original noble intentions for the gang. At that point, he's only out for himself. Exactly. Even even when they're on the uh, the Castaway Island, you could tell just from Arthur's dialogue and stuff like that that, that things are not good. Um, and then eventually, when they get back, you start to hear from other people. Guys, that was another thing too, and we'll talk about this more in character development uh, as well. Uh, early in the game, the only dissent you heard was, "Boy, that Blackwater one wasn't a very good idea." At this mm-hmm. point, now you're hearing like, "Is Art is Dutch losing it?" You're hearing it from a few people that are like. Because you can talk to everybody at camp, and it's really important you do, because then you really get a feel for how the game's progressing. And there's so many people now questioning his decisions, uh, including the woman he's sleeping with. Like, she ends up turning on him at one point. Um, It's just kind of interesting to see how the gang's kind of falling apart, and they're starting to question this very charismatic leader they all decided to throw their lot in with. So, you know, that's what happens. Uh, We also, this is also the turning point. Once we get back to the U.S., Arthur, he's been coughing. He goes to the doctor. He finds out he has tuberculosis and it's un, you know, it's incurable. And so you know that he's going to die. What are your feelings at that moment? Uh, just to go back a little bit to the island section of the game, mm-hmm. like uh, that was such a big departure from what came before. Yeah. And for me, that was like, okay, now it's amped up to 11. Like, wow, this is crazy. What's going on? Yeah. Now that the gang is basically split up and you're doing this whole Guarana, I think that's how you pronounce it. There we go. I'll go with that. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. That was to me, like the narrative hook I needed to get back into the game. Yeah. And this was from months of not playing the game prior and coming back and getting back to the mainland, the main section of the game, the open map and seeing Arthur coughing all of a sudden, I was like, wait, what's going on? Cause it doesn't explain it to you. Yeah, he just randomly coughs. Well, he's slowly, yeah, you can see he's like kind of slowly moaning more as he gets out. Cause I, cause for me, I, I knew that that part was coming up. I, it got spoiled for me. So, oh, that's too bad. It, I, it, it oh. is. But the benefit to that is I was able to pay attention to his health the entire time. And I noticed, cause there's a very early on side mission, I think, even maybe not, it's got to be a main mission, uh, where you're holding a guy who's like bleeding and he coughs in your face. And that's when yes. you get it, right? Um, yes. And so I noticed that he's like moaning more and more when he's getting off and on his horse. He does kind of have a cough every so often, especially in the cutscenes. So it is kind of building. But the castaway moment when he's on the island is when it really hits because he has to like heal up from that. That that hurt everybody. Um, and I think that's really what really kicked it into full gear. Yeah, for me personally, I was just randomly doing a stream and I remember I was in Strawberry. And all of a sudden, the screen just starts flashing yellow. And I'm like, what the hell? At the time, I just kind of went along with it and made it into a joke. Because at the time, I was just doing a random stream. Yeah. But I didn't realize at that time, like, the effects of getting sick with tuberculosis were happening. And I was, like, blown away when the reveal actually came out. Like, it was crazy. How does that change the way you play the game, knowing that the main character you've been playing and getting attached to inevitably will die? You do not have a happy ending with this character. Yeah, you definitely see his perspective, Arthur's perspective change in chapter six. Like when they're running away from Saint Denis and they're in the northeast uh, northeast section of the map. Yeah. 
I can't remember the name of it now for the life of me. But, uh, I know, right? After San Denis, it's like, <laughs> it gets so hectic there. I can't tell you the names of pretty much anything that's going on. Because after San Denis, it's like, who do I trust? And now we have, we have the Native Americans that are also splitting. And it's like, oh my God, there's so many shifting alliances right now. It's, it's hard, but yeah. Yeah, like uh, you kill Colmo Driscoll, I think. He was the rival mm-hmm. to Dutch. And you finish all that out. And then you're on the run and you go to the northeast. And then you're like in the middle of the mountains, basically. And you start to really see the gang separating and to do different philosophies. Like there's two different directions people are having to make a choice to go into. Yeah. And knowing Arthur has tuberculosis, he's trying to do the best he can with the time he has left. And it's just really heart-wrenching to see how that plays out. I liked their choice. Uh because when he's having these conversations, um, certain people that you could tell you really trust, he'll say along the lines of like, I just got to make sure that everybody's in a good spot. He really wants to make sure that John's family is going to be safe and get out of this life mm-hmm. um, and stuff like that. Uh, he really he's looking after Sadie a lot, Sadie Adler. Uh, so when he's talking to people he really trust, he kind of talks that way. When he talks to people he doesn't quite know 100%, um, he'll be kind of like, well, we'll all go somewhere. But you could tell that he kind of already knows that this is a real short run for him. He's just going to try to get his friends into a good location. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do like the way that the game kind of like let you see that he was playing playing it off to some people. I really like that that addition. Yeah, like you see it with Micah, I think the most. Like he becomes Dutch's right-hand man at that point in the story. Yeah. And he effectively replaces Arthur. Mm-hmm. And Arthur kind of sees now like, what Dutch really is like, he's just a power hungry person that only cares about himself. Yeah. Yeah. And I really enjoyed that. You know, that what he, when he broke away from that philosophy, you start to see Arthur thinking for himself more like, you know, cause it was kind of like a cult. It really, yeah, it really is. Again, like cults with a charismatic leader, like, okay, I'll drink some Kool-Aid and yep. Yeah, yep. Arthur's starting to realize like, hold on, this Kool-Aid's not, it's pretty bitter. <laughs> yeah. so at this point in the game uh the main like the main story that's going on is there's uh, a a tribe of native americans that's having to deal with uh i don't know some intruders i can't remember exactly what they're i think they were part of the military and the father wants to try to you know get go for peace and the son's like let's go to war and dutch is all about helping the son and arthur's like hey we should help the father and there's this kind of back and forth you know, and, and it's just kind of amplifying the the division amongst the gang. And in the gang, you're starting to get these clear lines. You have basically Dutch and Micah and everybody you see in the first game. <laughs> you know, they start to kind of go to one side. You're like, okay, well, I know why they're going over there because I see them later mm-hmm. on. And then you see, you know, Sadie and you and Charles uh, and, and John and his family. They're all starting to go to the other side. They're talking about we need to get the gold that we hide in the camp. And that will pay for our way out of here. Um, so there's this strong division. And it all comes to a boiling point when they're they're in this like warehouse they're trying to burn down. Um, Dutch and uh, and Arthur are there. They get captured, and Dutch just leaves him there. The Pinkertons attack. Dutch leaves him there. At, to me, when that happened, I was like, okay, I'm full on ready to take out Dutch. I was already yeah, kind of getting warned, but it was like, boom, I'm yeah. on, right? Yeah, hundred percent. Like when they got left behind by Dutch. Arthur knew then, like, okay, this guy's not looking out for my best interest. It's go time. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, 
then we have, okay, so just kind of a quick little rundown on this part. You know, we save, I think it's John from prison and stuff like that. Um, but the main thing that happens here, we find out that Micah is the guy, the mole inside the camp. Because the whole time they're trying to figure out who's this mole that's kind of keeping the Pinkertons right behind them. It's Micah, the new right-hand man, the snake in the grass. So Arthur, tisk, tisk, tisk. I know, <laughs> Arthur and John, they go back to camp and they confront Micah. And just the look on Dutch's face is like, okay, there's questionable moments. What, what did you want to happen in that moment? Well, of course, like you want, well, me personally, I wanted to kill Micah. I thought he was the most scumbag of all scumbags. Yeah. Like he wasn't loyal to anybody. No. Even though he says he was loyal to Dutch, he wasn't because he was the rat. Yeah. And you know what they say about rats, you know? <laughs> well, you know, unfortunately, Arthur wasn't the cat for this one. So, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> so, unfortunately, the Pinkertons show up again. I wonder why, Micah. And, uh, and everybody starts to scatter. And we start to kind of get this hectic, everybody's got to run moment. Uh, you have a choice to either go for the money or save John's family. At, at one particular point, I chose to save John's family because now now I'm like, OK, my new tribe that I'm trying to protect is John. And then which did you did you go for the money? Or did you go for John? I think you went Boy oh, Scout. John. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, John. For sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's too hard. Uh, I thought they had a really good moment here. So, of course, it's hectic and, and the game's kind of like it's all at a fast pace right now. You're just trying to survive. Uh, there's a moment where your horse dies. Do you remember that moment? I did. Yeah, I was heartbroken at that man that really hurt because i tamed one of the best horses in the game yeah and yeah that was just that was a gut punch for sure yeah i i remember i bought a really expensive horse i didn't tame any like good ones but it was one that you know you get attached to and mm -hmm. i i thought it was such a good move and, and it's funny how much you get attached to your horses because there was another time where i was ambushed and i and my horse died and it was a horse i really liked so I went back and I found those guys and burnt their hook. You know, like I was just like, <laughs> you know, for my horse. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I thought it was a really smart move to do it that way because we know that the way these games work, there's going to be an after story. And we didn't want to have any questions like, well, what happened to my horse that I spent all kinds of money on? And it kind of gave us a moment to give a little bit of spotlight to, oddly enough, the, an important character, our horse. You know, it was a good move. Yeah, it was definitely a emotional moment i think you know out of all of the historically sad moments in video gaming i think this is one of the high points for sure yeah we end up on a ridge cliff top cliff kind of area and it's all happening there micah ambushes us we're fighting him dutch comes in to intervene uh arthur convinces dutch you have to leave micah and finally dutch listens just enough to leave so it's micah and us now if you have high, I didn't know this part was optional. I only, I had only one choice. So if you have higher honor, if you're a good guy the entire time, Arthur succumbs to his injuries and uh, dies of the disease. He dies like watching the sunrise. If you have yep. low honor, mm -hmm. Micah shoots you. Oh, really? Yeah. I got shot by Micah. Oh, what? I thought you played the good guy, though. I played the good guy for my guys. So there's oh, a lot of times right. where I'd kill that's somebody right. that I knew was going to be better for my guys to survive. So, so I didn't know that he could be peaceful. <laughs> so Micah just shoots Arthur dead. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Shoots him in the head. Boom. And then so. Oh, wow. Later on, I was pissed <laughs> when I could be. I yeah. bet you were. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the, uh, the ending I got was much more majestic. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Uh, okay. So we know 
this is how all Red Dead games work. You play as basically the next guy in line. So we play as uh, just kind of a quick little rundown of what this looks like. You play as John, you're on a farm, and it's kind of setting up the, the beginning of the next game. Uh, you do have a moment to go chase down Micah. Did you chase down Micah as John with any kind of... Because for me, exact, of course, right, I was out to get revenge for Arthur because I knew that Micah killed Arthur. Did Do you think it felt the same for you? Oh, I... Yeah, that wholeheartedly agree. I think at that point in the game, you know, seeing Arthur get killed or die, it just set off a whole bunch of emotions like, okay, we got to get revenge for Arthur. Yeah. Oh, man, I kind of want to play these games again when I talk about them like this. That was a great ending, too. Like, really was. having the epilogue with John Marston. But we'll get into that in a minute, I suppose. Well, I mean, let's kind of just visit that right now. What What do you... What are your opinions on them having these epilogues in the game? Because they did the same thing for the first one as well. Yeah, you know, it was interesting. I didn't expect for the game to keep going yeah. after that ending with Arthur dying. And there's a time skip. And I'm like, wait, what? And John is like, now you're, you're playing as him. I was like, oh, wow, they're actually going to tie it to the first game. Yeah. Like, this is great. I loved it. I thought that would have been like DLC or something. Yeah. <laughs> but they actually included it. And then it was really great to see, you know, slowly getting to that point where you go back and you take care of Dutch and Micah. And it slows. It's, it's amazing how it did in this first game too, where it brings you back to the roots of the game where you're like, slow down. Okay. This is what it looks like when you hurt animals again. This is you, you know, fixing fences or whatever. And it just really kind of brings you down for a bit. And then it'll like, okay, now I'll give you some closure and you're good to go. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's an interesting idea and I don't really, I can't really think of games that do that. I mean, I, there's plenty of games that are like, okay, the world is open, have fun, but none that'd be like one more thing, you know, <laughs> let's, let's, let's end things off with a new character. First game had it as well when you're continue playing as Jack. So mm-hmm. very interesting, you know? Uh, no, I, I, I was going to say, uh, it's really neat to see events from John's perspective, like what he took from that whole ordeal with Dutch, like. In the end, he really does love his family and wants to protect them. Yeah. You see that all throughout the epilogue and how he puts them first ahead of everybody else. Which was some really cool development because in the beginning of the game, there was this whole thing where he like left for a year and he's having a yes, hard time he, warming up to Jack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he definitely grew, I think, from interacting with Arthur and him teaching him the right path. It, it, it's funny because... As great as I think it is to play the first one before this one, now I'm thinking it might be interesting to play it the other way around because it makes John so much better in the original game. You know, that's kind of conflicting. I don't know. I mean, John is a good person inherently in Red Dead 1, I think. Despite, you know, his past sins coming back to haunt him. But I think what made Red Dead 2 so much more fun to play was seeing Arthur's influence on John. I think that was the main takeaway from the game is him passing the baton to John saying, you know, keep up the goodwill of humanity. Like, you know, or however way you played Arthur, I suppose. Yeah. Well, I think even the worst of Arthur, just the main story will force you to somewhat be good. You know, I don't think that's a good point. Be black. Yeah. I mean, even if you're, you know, playing arthur in a bad way he's still a good person if that makes sense yeah uh okay so other character developments that we can go over uh of course we have arthur's character development we start off where he's like the loyal son he was you know quote-unquote adopted by dutch and hasaya 
about 20 years ago, I think it was, before the events that we're in. Uh, so he's always been there, and he's always he's kind of the adopted son there. And then, uh, especially once he's sick, but even before then, he's starting to question Dutch's actions. And is he losing his sanity? Is he losing his grip? When Hosiah dies, it just really goes off the rails uh, mm-hmm. towards the end. Him as a character, where do you think he stands amongst other video game characters? Do you think he's kind of one of the upper-end characters, or is he just middle of the pack? No, I think he's one of the best protagonists we've ever had in gaming. And that, you know, that's really high of me to say, because, you know, for me, I think the silent protagonist is the best protagonist because you self-insert into the game and you get more immersed that way. Yeah. But playing as John or uh, pardon me, playing as Arthur, you get that you get that immersion the same way, at least in my experience, like I was so immersed in the world playing as Arthur, where when we switched to John, I just wanted to play as Arthur again. Like even now when I was playing in preparation for this recording, I wanted to play as Arthur more so than John. Yeah. I wish there was an option to go back in time or I guess I could reload an old save, but you know, it would have been nice to continue playing as Arthur despite him dying in the story. Yeah. I, I, I totally feel you. He had a really good personality and it was interesting portraying him. And it, yeah, it's a shame that you can't go back. And that's the same thing happened with the first one, too. When I was Jack, I was like, yeah, but I just want to be John again. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Uh, for me, I would say one of the most influential characters in gaming that that has stuck with me so, so hard has to be Dutch uh, Vanderlyn, played by uh, Benjamin Brian da- uh, Davis. Hmm. What a, a dynamic, just personality, a very, like we said before, charismatic um, and voice acting and just the way they portrayed him he has uh if you guys are familiar with ian mcshane from uh, deadwood very much like that uh it was really i would good. say yeah that's a good comparison would you okay so i have a hard time justifying him being straight up the villain would you characterize him as the villain of this game i mean i wouldn't say that necessarily if i had to pick a straight up villain i'd more so pick micah yeah. over dutch I mean, Dutch did what he could for the gang up to a point. I think he faltered in that moment, mm-hmm. and that's where you see him start to, you know, become more easily bought by corruption and the lure of power, like having that control over people. Yeah. Uh, the last character I want to make sure we visit is Sadie Adler. Uh, what are your thoughts on Sadie Adler? She was the housewife turned bounty hunter. No, I think Sadie was an overall excellent character. Like it shows that women could hold their own in that time period as well. Mm-hmm. You know, despite the many uh, things we've seen in Hollywood, for example, in Western yeah. movies where they're yeah. helpless, they're helpless. And this game goes out of its way to show that's not the case. And I think Sadie as a character is just a well-written character overall. I was actually hoping that the next Red Dead Redemption is going to start her. I think she would make a fantastic protagonist in one of these games. Oh, um, I could see that. But I think the third game, if we are going to get one, would follow Jack in the future. Yeah. yeah Maybe like, like a early gangster type oh, game. You sold me so fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's where it's going to go. Yeah. Uh, okay. So anything else you wanted to talk about it in the, uh, the story level? Pacing or anything like that you think we should mention? No, I think we just about covered everything. Yeah. Um, I think you and I can both agree our favorite character is Arthur out of everybody. Maybe Dutch for you. Yeah, Dutch, I think my, it's tough. I would say Arthur because 
Uh, but Dutch is really high up there. <laughs> I, I will talk about him. Yeah. I'm actually trying to convince <laughs> my brother to name his, he's got a son coming. Like, name him Dutch. It's a good name. Trust me. <laughs> so we'll see. <laughs> uh, I think it, the most important takeaway from this is as a prequel, I think it sets up the first game so well. Like you see all the backstory for John and what he has to deal with in Red Dead Redemption 1. And I think as a combination, it's just such a full experience. Like there's no other games that can really compare to it. Yeah. Yeah. The story wise, I keep thinking this needs to be a series. Uh, it, it's it's really good. It's a really good story. Deadwood might be the best comparison I have for the section I'm thinking about. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, that's the thing with uh, Deadwood. Like it kind of follows that time in American history where small communities of people were having to become legitimized. And yeah. you see that with this game as well, with the gang and how they respond to that changing political landscape. Like it's really fascinating overall. It's it's the overarching villain of Red Dead Redemption is the progression of time. Because mm-hmm. We're talking about characters, and especially in the in the you know in Red Dead One, uh, we're talking about characters that do not belong there anymore. Outlaws are outdated, and everybody's getting mm-hmm. cars now. And so, uh, it it is this thing where it's just like, yeah, you're worried about Dutch, you're worried about this, but you got to remember that you know Saint Denis, they have a they have a train, they go you know, like a monorail now. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of this thing that's always moving forward. Yeah, I have to say Saint Denis was really interesting to explore. Like you see the influence of technology and how that's impacting daily life. And then you go out for the West and there's nothing. Yeah. Like it's just crazy. Like it's really neat to experience. And that's how America was at that time. You know, we were really two different nations developing one about 20 years before the other one, the the entire time, because we had to, you know, forge our way into the West still. And, uh, and it's interesting to see it done so well in this game. You could really just kind of just make that horse ride out there and see the difference. (laughs) Indeed. Uh, what would you score uh, the story of the game out of 30? If I had to score it out of 30, I think I would give it a 28. 28. I think there are some sections of the story, in particular that chapter with the Braithwaites mm-hmm. and uh, the other family I can't remember the name of. <laughs> the Grace. The, the Grace, thank you. Uh, I think that was a bit too long for my liking. Yeah. But other than that, the story just was pretty much impeccable, in my opinion. That's a solid score. Mine's 27. Uh, the reason I'm throwing it at 27 is because the side quests, while they are enjoyable to do, I felt kind of... I, I actually think I felt the opposite of you. Because I was like, okay, these are in the way. I want to get back to the gang. So when I'm doing these side missions, having to go out and hunt. I like to go out and hunt. But having to do it for, for some guy or to find these circus animals or whatever. I was like, come on, I want to get to, <laughs> I, want, I want to get more of the Braithwaites versus the Greys and stuff like that. So, um, gotcha, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, still 27 out of 30. Obviously, the story's very weighty in this game. It's really good. I would say, I think I played it in si- about 60 hours. Do you remember about how long it took you to beat this game? Oh, gosh. Oh, man. Um, I got to say at least 100. Oh, 100. Okay. Yeah. So you were really I doing the side missions <laughs> before this. Yeah. I didn't think to check that. Yeah. Uh, it, it's definitely. It's a really good story, guys, and, and it's awesome. So we got 27 for me, 28 for you. We're heading mm-hmm. into gameplay. Uh, we're looking at the basics here. Control, movement, combat, and camera. Uh, what are your thoughts on some of the control and movement in this game? So with the introduction of the gun elements, I think the most basic control system we take advantage of 
is the aim system. And this game just felt so good to shoot things. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if that makes sense. No, it does, yeah. Uh, like with whether it's hunting or doing a bounty or anything like that, like it just felt so good to play. I found it. So here's the thing. My score is going to be reflecting what I think most people would agree with. Although I personally like that GTA kind of shooting where it kind of auto locks <clears throat> a little bit for you. And it just makes for these moments where when normally a game would like send you a couple big guys and you take them down by getting headshots. Rockstar games are about sending you a great amount of guys. And you just like mowing them down like you're you're some crazy, you know, action hero. Uh, this game definitely has that as well, right? Because there's a lot of times where it's like, oh, look, 60 Pinkertons. All right. Give me a second. Yeah, <laughs> you <know>? I agree. <laughs> Do I have 60 bullets? <laughs> I'm all right. So there are moments like that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I kind of give the shooting like I, my personal self, like it. But I think in general, if they were to kind of focus more on because I didn't freeze time much. Did you freeze time much to shoot? I did for. You know, kind of like Vats and Fallout. Like, yeah. it's fun to use just for the visual flair of it. Mm -hmm. I tried not to rely on it, but there's times where you have to. Yeah. And there, there are times where it forces you to. Like, when Lenny dies, it forces you to go into that. Yes. Uh, mm. Yeah, so for me, it's like, I think it could do better in the shooting department. If it's going to be if it's going to be compared to other games with shooting in it. Um, but if, if, if for the people that are fans of that kind of Rockstar shooting, I mean, it's right there for you. Uh, and then for, for movement for myself, the horse riding in this game is so freaking good. It's so good. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to describe to somebody that's like, well, what do you do in this game? It's like, well, to be honest with you, a lot of it's just riding horses, <laughs> you know, and that's great. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, yeah. it definitely felt like you had way more control over your horse in this game rather than Red Dead 1. I agree with you. Yeah, I think they did a really good job. They must have rebuilt that. Oh, I know it has a new engine for this. We'll talk about that later on. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's it was pretty amazing. Uh, camera wise, did you play around with the camera while you're riding around? I know I did often. Oh, all the time. Like I would always fling it around when I saw a great Vista that I wanted to take in. And of course, you know, to keep my eyes open for any stranger events, like we'll get into that more later, but I think that was a clear indicator of a good camera system. Yeah. We'll talk about the stranger events now. Cause I want to talk about quests and how you receive them and how you complete them. And mm -hmm. that's a really good good point is that stranger events describe to the people who haven't played this game before how that works. So basically, whenever you're out in the open world, these dynamic events randomly occur. Like, I don't know if they're triggered by just your presence being there or if there's outside factors controlling them. Yeah. But you'll have these things, you know, just come out of the middle of nowhere and it'll feel like it's just a part of the world itself. Like mm -hmm. it doesn't feel scripted. And for me, that's what made the bulk of the game so enjoyable. Yeah, even They're the random ambushes too. Like you'd have random ambushes where you're yes. just like, they would like throw a burning wagon in front of you and you felt like it was actually an ambush, not like something I triggered. And I was like, oh man, these guys have been waiting here all day kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, in the two or three hours I played prior to this recording, like just to re-immerse myself and get familiar again with the game, like the Stranger events were just so fluid like they were so varied like i came across you know a trio of guys trying to rob me in a wooden bridge i came across yeah. a kkk member setting himself on fire because oh, he was a dipshit yeah you know i <laughs> came across a guy who wanted to race me on his horse that he just bought and when i beat him in the race he slapped his horse in the face i didn't like animal abuse so i shot him yeah 
Yeah. You know, it's moments like that that make the game so fun to play. Yeah, almost stories that feel like you created the story, not necessarily like it was written by anybody. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I really liked, one of the things I liked about, if we're looking at like maps and shops and how those work out too, uh, I really liked how when you'd go to a shop, it was an old catalog, you know? And that's how it was back in those days. My my actual, my dad collects old Sears catalogs. He has a couple. And oh, it yeah. was like, you know, <laughs> I remember those. Right? <laughs> and so... uh. I thought it was a really neat way of doing it. Like you would actually go to the old West or, you know, your old shopkeeper and he'd be, he'd order from you from Sears and Roebuck and it would come in. It would take a few weeks, but then you'd get a new gun. And, uh, that was really cool. And then you had the bounties on the board and stuff like that. It, the side quests, while I do feel like they diverted me too much off the main mission were so natural in this game. Like there's just, mm-hmm. they're there and you actually feel like you're going to go help out this town or help out this family or, or go rob this <laughs> Poor vacant house or something like that. <laughs> it just felt so natural. This is why I liken Red Dead 2 to Westworld, because it really does feel like you're in this world and you can do whatever the hell you want. And it's so fun to uncover all these new ways to enjoy the game. Yeah, you nailed it with that. Because, yeah, because even when you're in town and you're just kind of walking amongst the people, I, I could, it just really does feel like uh, Westworld. That's a really good way to put it. I mean, you can interact with any NPC. You can, for example, I tend to start fights with people and they say something rude to me. Yeah. And I get in fist fights with them. Like I was in the saloon in Valentine and there's this mountain man. He's just, you know, being a general asshole. And he starts calling me out, like for, I guess, standing there. (laughs) And we get into a fist fight over it and he kicks my butt. But then I, you know, give him one or two and he's knocked out and it's like, wow, that really just happened. <laughs> and then there's these guys at a poker table. They're like, man, that's crazy. I never expected something like that to happen. So I picked up the dead guy's body and I threw it on their poker table and they all flipped out and ran out of the saloon. It was hilarious. <laughs> How does this game do that? Like that, that blows my mind. You tell me that story. It feels like it would be something that would happen in real life. But then when you try it, to, yeah. to put that into a game, you're like, Somebody had to write that. Like somebody had to plan on, oh, what if it becomes too close to these guys? They run out of the saloon. Like that's just so smart. The idea that they even know where the door of the saloon is, like something as simple as that. When you think of it to like Skyrim, no, they'd find a wall and just run at it. You know, they'd be running into the wall all the time. Amazing. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So the big innovation for this game, I want to say for uh, design. So anything else in gameplay you feel like we should really point out? I think we pretty much covered it. I mean, aside from the various systems in the game, it doesn't necessarily do anything different. It just does everything really well. Yeah, a lot of polish. A lot of polish on the systems in here. For sure. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I my score for this, it feels low, but it's 22 out of 30. And hmm. a lot of that is because I feel like the shooting, I think they can get rid of the slow time shooting, and they can clean that up a little bit and actually make it to where... I, I, one thing I thought is, We'd love to have a scoped pistol and it become or a scoped rifle, and uh, actually have to work on being more accurate and stuff like that while shooting for my horseback. Like I don't know, I feel like there could be more done with the shooting because it's the Wild West and shooting is so important. I don't know. I, personally, I do like it, but I think as a person who's thinking of other people shooting, they might not. You know. So, oh yeah. no, I I can see that point of view. It's a tough one. Uh, okay, so what are your what are your the what's your score there for gameplay out of thirty? This might seem low for me as well, but I'm going to give it a 24. Okay, 24. And there's a reason why. So 
basically when you're first playing the game, everything you you know control your character with, it feels weight. Like there's a texture or a weight to it. And that feels fantastic for the first 60 hours of the game. <laughs> yeah. But over time, you start to notice like how long things take, like, you know, how traversal, how long distance horse riding feels and having to restock your inventory by yeah. going through the catalog, having to buy ammo. And, you know, it's great those first dozens of hours. But if you're replaying the game, you start to pick up on that more. And you feel a bit inconvenienced by it. So that's why I gave it 24. Because I feel like it could have been sped up a little bit. Just to help with replayability. Yeah. The replayability is a really good point. Because there's so much of it that's like. I do like the way it feels like I'm actually living the cowboy life. And that's Mm -hmm. good. But at a certain point it's like. Okay I don't necessarily feel like going out and skinning a ton of animals. So that I could afford ammo. You know. It does feel a little bit much. Yeah. I'm. I can appreciate like the time it takes to do all of these various tasks in the game. But when you do them over and over again, you do want it to speed up a bit and that doesn't happen. Yeah. All right, guys, we're going to level up. We're moving on to level three design. All right. Now this game is just mind blowing, right? Uh, A lot of that has to go to the brand new rage engine. They made for it. Everything's done in native 4k. They reduced shimmering. Their goal was to try to make the game feel like you were in a movie, not playing a video game. Do you think they captured, do you think they mastered that? Oh yeah, I totally agree. I think, you know, out of any other video game, this is the closest you're going to get to being dropped into a cinematic experience. Yeah. Do you have any uh, moments that you felt like where you stopped and just like noticed the mountains or something like that? Can you think of any in particular? I mean, uh, not in particular, but I know I did it all the time while yeah. just riding in the natural wilderness. Like you see all of these great viewpoints, like the skybox in particular. Oh, like no matter yeah. where you look, it's absolutely gorgeous. Like it looks so realistic. There are times you have to like go into the mountains to to hunt down a bounty or or go down by. And I remember there would be times where I'd stop and just see like this creek running through there, and you'd see some deer and stuff like that. Like man, this world is so alive. And mm-hmm. it's, it's crazy how much it's this is a video game, but man, they just they made the world feel so alive. And that's so important when it's an open world game like that, because you live in it, you know, so it's important that it's open world. Um, what about in towns? How do you think they did with the town folk? Design wise? Oh, I, I mean, I feel like overall they did an astounding job just making every NPC feel like, you know, they each have their own identity mm-hmm. with dialogue and how you interact with them. But, you know, over time, you start to notice, you know, the same repetitive nature, like with the lack of dialogue options with those NPCs. Yeah. And I get I get that. That's a limit. That's a natural limitation of game design. But for what they did with what they had, I think it was overall a tremendous job. I you know, I don't remember actually going out of my way to talk to like town NPCs, but I probably should have so that I would have known what that was like. That's interesting. It kind of reminds me. So, uh, you know, our last level up was with Kyle and we talked about uh, Knights of the Old Republic and they actually uh, Kevin. <laughs> oh, my God. Every every time, guys, you would not believe that. Anyways, so ridiculous. So we talked about Star Wars the Old Republic and that they, they actually went the other way with it. They had a hard time getting the graphics up there because they had so much li- lines of dialogue between you and your companions. And this mm. game, 
I, I mean, you almost have to give it to him. I mean, yeah, okay, yeah, when it looks this stunning, sure, that guy says the same four lines all the time. Uh, but yeah, I, that, I never really tried talking to people. I will try that. I, I will see what that's like, because I don't do that. Hmm. Just to add to that, I think what they did really well was giving Arthur his own voice. Like, yeah. you kind of don't have dialogue options in this game. And I think it benefited from that. Because like you said, they were trying to go for like a cinematic movie-like feel. Yeah. And instead of having these huge dialogue boxes where you can, you know, give a variety of answers, they just had Arthur talk for himself. And I think that paid off in the end. Yeah. Yeah, because usually your options were mostly, you know, morals, less about like in my conversation, do I make sure to say something that would raise my, you know, honor meter lower? It was more about just like letting Arthur be Arthur and you enjoy mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Uh, okay. So character design. One thing I thought was really interesting was the hair growing system and how he slowly got sick. And we saw that in his face. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think about that? Was that had to be so hard to develop? No, it's really fascinating because with that character uh, design, you can, you know, dress Arthur up or have him with whatever facial hair you want. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning of the game, I had him clean cut. But after the tuberculosis, I had him looking disheveled like a full-grown beard. Oh, wow. You know, I actually changed his outfits a lot. I love that about the game, by the way. Like, yeah. I loved how much you could customize your main character. And, you know, overall, I think it added to the story. It just made it more profound that way. So did you, uh, early game, you had him clean cut, you didn't have a beard on him either? Right. hmm huh. I always try to do goatee, and then I try to do the, the, like, the Peaky Blinders cut is what I think of it. It's where it's <laughs> real narrow on the sides, and it's kind of tall on top. And mm-hmm. uh, I, d- I kept that the entire time. But as the game went on in the beginning, it was because he was like a youthful man who had a little bit of money in his pocket. And by the end, it was more about a man who's trying to grasp on to youth. You know, it, it's has the game changed as Arthur changed. But his look, I try to keep the same was more like oh, I still comb my hair to the side, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and stuff like that. So it. It's it was a really good system. I know people did complain that like, oh, I don't want to keep going and cut my hair, or oh, I want to change his hairstyle, but I have to wait for the hair to actually grow for me to have a new hairstyle. People complained about it, but I think it added a little bit more to the game. I really liked it myself. Yeah, I think overall it just gave Arthur more texture, like more depth. Like you can make him into any sort of character you want outside of you know his dialogue, and I think that helped in the long run with those major dramatic story turns yeah uh cutscenes. what are you thinking about those cutscenes? uh the cutscenes. i think you know they were trying to go for that cinematic quality of style mm-hmm. like for me that was great and all but you, you could start to see the same patterns over and over they didn't try anything new with say like camera angles or anything like yeah. that in my from my experience anyway so uh are you talking about like the cutscenes where you're traveling where they were like oh now you're the horse is going on its own kind of thing. Oh no, I just meant like general cutscenes when the characters are talking to each oh, other. Okay. Like this isn't like directed in a stylistic way. It's very straightforward, it which is. is fine. Yeah. I mean, that served the story best, I think. Mm-hmm. But I don't think there's too much to go into with the way like the cameras or the cutscenes were directed. I do like that it felt like the cutscenes were well, I mean, it definitely was used with the same engine, right? So I didn't feel like oh, let's leave what I'm looking at and go to a high-def version of this thing. Much like, okay, let's talk about World of Warcraft, right? I mean, 
whenever they have a cutscene, they're amazing and beautiful, but the world just does not look like that. And uh, exactly this, you actually felt like, okay, these are the characters I literally was just talking with. So I do like that mm-hmm. at least. Yeah, it's grounded. Like, you know, it doesn't change up the stylistic or the visual flair. Yeah. It very much keeps it in line with the rest of the game. All right, moving into audio. Uh, the soundtrack was done by Woody Jackson. He's the yes. in-house soundtrack guy for, for a lot of Rockstar games. Uh, so if you guys, especially, uh, he worked a lot of work on uh, Red Theft Auto 3. A lot of the same music is used from both. Uh, felt like kind of the, just a classic Western movie thing again, right? Overall, yes. Like uh, the same tones carried from Red Dead 1 were brought into Red Dead 2. You know, to much to my pleasure. Like, yeah. The soundtrack is just a joy to listen to all the way through. When you're out there riding the horse on the dusty trail, you got that good music going on with a twain in it. Just it pulls you right into the old west. It's really good. Mm-hmm. So props to Woody Jackson. Uh, the other part of sound design we have to talk about, of course, is the voice acting. Of the great voice actors in this, were there any like that you just like? That was the best. <laughs> well, we already mentioned uh, John, of course, and mm-hmm. Arthur and Dutch. Dutch. John, you left me, you left me to die. My boy, I didn't have a choice. John, I didn't, you, I didn't have a choice. Left me. All of you, you pick your side now because this is over. All them years, Dutch. This snake. <laughs> Be quiet, cowpoke. Like for me, I love Charles. I thought yes. he was a very unique character. I loved his accent. Mm-hmm. And overall, his character was just really fun to, you know, advance through a mission with. Like you could always rely on him. He was really dependable. Yeah. Very good. And his friend. voice, his voice kind of echoed that. Yeah. Uh, for me, uh, two stand out outside, of course, the, those three right there, of course, are amazing. By the way, all three of those original Dutch, Arthur and John are all on Cameo. So you guys can hit them up on Cameo and have them say something cool to you. Uh, for me, Sadie was really cool. She had this kind of. Pretty early on, you could tell that she was she was has a more uh, strong personality than you would expect. And then mm-hmm. by the end, you were like, oh, man, she's the toughest one out here. And she's awesome. And I've totally fallen in love with her. She's amazing. And then also. <laughs> Javier, uh, playing him, uh, you know, meeting him in the first game, I was like, okay, I like this guy. Uh, you know, of course, he's he's a bad guy at that point, but uh, I was also paying attention to Javier a lot of this time. I think they did a really good job with his voice. It's just they have really they did a really good job of making very distinct voices. There's like one point where you're helping like this British aristocrat kind of guy, um, just just very notable distinct voices, which helps a lot. And you know, and I just I fell in love with these characters. It's really really well done. All right, let's look at your score for level three out of 30, man. Out of design, what are you thinking? I'm going to go uh, pretty high on this one. I'm going to go 29. You went 29. Okay. I went very high as well. I went straight up 30. Oh, there you go. Nice. I, I couldn't really <laughs> think of anything I would change, but that's when I was kind of like, well, maybe I should have talked to some people in town because I didn't try that. Maybe that would have made me dip. But I just ah, was too big of a fan. All right, so. Yeah, for me. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. You know, go ahead. I was just going to mention uh, overall, I think for design, the reason why I took the point off, I think over time you would have all these interactions with people, but they boiled down to basically the same type. Like it could really just go in two directions. Either you're friendly to them or you're hostile to them. Yeah. 
you couldn't really do much more than that. So that's why I scored 29. That's that's a good point. And and that's something I didn't try out. So uh, that was a very good point. So uh, your total score is 81 minus 79. We're at the bonus level now. So this is where we found some like hidden cave that inside has all kinds of treasure we didn't know about. And that awesome, cool master sword. So we're going to make any adjustments we need to make. We have 10 points to play with. Do you want to add any points to this? You have 10 points you could add. Right now you're so, 81. I mean, I want to add as much as I can, right? Because I really do adore this game. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give the full 10 to it. Okay. And because of that, I, what I'm basing that off of is just overall my experience in the wilderness. Like just making my own story out of the game. Like just from the random dynamic events that would occur in it. Yeah. Like even if I was playing a poker game, with random NPCs, I'd always have a fun time at it. Like I would, you know, self-narrate, you know, go along with what's <laughs> happening. Like yeah. I try to make it a fun thing to, you know, people watching me stream or whatever, or just in my own time. Like I'll just have fun with it. Yeah, you lived in that world. And mm-hmm. it's hard to to understand that and necessarily give it 100% a grade just without that. So I like the idea of you adding 10. I actually did the same. I'm adding 10 as well. I give it an 89 now with that. You're giving it a 91. Mm-hmm. Um, so my justification was the world. I just loved being there so much. I, I loved visiting the world so much. And the other thing is, you know, I gave earlier, I gave it a doc because I felt like the shooting wasn't necessarily what was best for everyone. And I gave it, its points here for me loving the shooting. Uh, so 89, a strong B plus, then you're giving it an A. An A minus. I mean, that, that's pretty solid right there. Yeah, uh, when I first played this, I was just blown away. Like, over time, it's definitely become one of my all-time favorite games. But uh, the department where I kind of detract from is repeatability, mostly. Yeah. I think over time, you start to recognize how long things actually do take. Mm-hmm. And it does detract from replayability. But at the same time, that adds so much, you know, like, you just feel like you're living in it. like. It just helps with atmosphere and immersion. And that's just something you don't find very common in video gaming. Yeah. Did you, did you play any Red Dead online? (laughs) Um, No, I didn't. (laughs) Neither did I. So, because I enjoyed the main story so much. Exactly. I hate to leave that single player. Yeah. I, I, and I haven't played online. So we may be missing a lot of that replayability there. That's what I was kind of thinking. Like, I wonder if I should do that. Um, so Red Dead Online, the reason I didn't feel like we needed to add it to this is because it's really they're really pitching it as a standalone game and it's getting mm. its own updates. All the DLCs and stuff like that's coming to the Red Dead Online, not to this. So yeah, maybe we'll review that separately someday. I I, I am interested in trying it out, but I kinda if I'm gonna play Red Dead, I'd rather just be on John now, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's the main other detraction for me is, you know, I'm stuck playing as John now. Because you're in limbo until RDR1 happens, yeah. which makes sense. I mean, that's where it should end. Yeah, yeah, it should. But unfortunately, you know, you can't change that unless you start a whole new game again. But, uh, you know, while I did enjoy playing as John, I felt like I enjoyed playing as Arthur much more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I almost wish they could take another shot at, at Red Dead 1 using what they've learned from Red Dead 2. There's just so much there. So I can't imagine a full-blown remake no, with yeah. RDU. Yeah, with RDR2's physics and engine. And, oh man, that'd be crazy. Just too big. It's just way too big. 
Um, okay. I was going to ask you something else as an aside. Of course. So do you feel like them taking Mexico out of Red Dead Redemption 2 hurt it or helped it? It was already it's already really big. I guess it's not needed, but it was. So in Red Dead 1, when I went down to Mexico and the music dramatically changed and the environment mm-hmm. dramatically changed, I really enjoyed it. And I think it would have been a nice yep. perk. Yeah, I think me personally, they, you know, I was slightly disappointed at first. I mean, I get why they didn't include it. Mm hmm. But then I didn't know this, but they included all of um, the entire map of Red Dead 1 minus Mexico. And it was really fun to revisit that area of the game having played Red Dead Redemption 1. Yeah. Of course, unfortunately, there's not much to do there. It's just, you know, free space to mess around in. But I feel like if Mexico was also added, that would have been just insane to think about <laughs> it's a great spot for a dlc they already said they won't do dlcs for this they're going to do it all for red dead online but it's such a good spot for it i wish they would just go ahead and do that add mexico as a dlc i think it would have helped but at the same time it doesn't detract too much from the main experience it really doesn't this is a this is a must play for me uh okay so let's think of this as you have a hall of fame at your house right this museum kyle's museum of gaming what genre, first off, would you give Red Dead Redemption? What would you call this game? Well, I would probably call it open world game. Open world game. For okay. starters. Yeah, open world for sure. Okay. So that's going to be pretty broad. Now, in your, you know, the museum doesn't have too much room, so you only got spot for five games on there for each genre. Oh, I see. Okay. That's why, that's why I wanted to see what genre we're going to have, because I want to see if we were going to go narrow and just say westerns, because then it's definitely in there. All right, and you can't put up Red Dead 1 and Red Dead 2. So on that wall, does this make top five open world games? From what I've played, I would say yes. It's got some good competition, like the Fallout games and, of course, Red Dead Redemption 1. But in all, you know, I would much rather play Red Dead Redemption again, then play Grand Theft Auto again, in my opinion. Really? Yeah, I actually... Yeah. And I've played Grand Theft Auto multiple times, and I think I would rather go back to Red Dead right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, I can't really think of many other open-world games aside from Witcher 3, but I think Red Dead just edges it out barely. See, for me, I'm thinking, like, all the Far Cries, and of course, World of Warcraft's open-world. Uh, oh, that's true. Yeah, I didn't think of that. Yeah, I think... Of all the genres in gaming, this has to be my favorite in general. It's open world games. Uh, and it has some stiff competition, like you said, like those Far Cry games, man. Far Cry 5, they're just such good stories and really cool. But this is definitely, this definitely has to make my top five. I just, I, I can't stop thinking about it sometimes. So, I mean, me personally, I put it above the Ubisoft open world titles like Assassin's yeah. Creed, Watch Dogs, you know, Far Cry. Like, I think it's way better than those. I'd have to agree with you. And I and I always enjoy those games as much as they are kind of the same thing over and over again. Oh, yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but this has to be because this was this was really good. I mean, the visuals just blew me away. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, this was my first game really in 4K when I think about it. Oh, really? And it definitely showed. Yeah. All right. Uh, all right. So that's going to be it. What kind of adaptations do you want to see out of this? Would you want to read uh, Red Dead books? Would you want to see Red Dead series? Any kind of adaptation wish list? Um, I would say I think you were kind of leaning towards that yourself, mm-hmm. like seeing like a 
TV adaptation yeah. over like a season of episodes, I think that would be the best way to do it. Yeah. Books might be able to nail it, but I think just the visuals that we're seeing here, really the way they're doing Mandalorian kind of feels like, mm. you know, how this could be. Uh, yeah. All right. So let's go over some fun facts. We have your always finished the show up with some fun facts. Uh, okay. So these are fun facts and trivia. If a player takes their male horse, this is a classic one, right? If the male, if the player takes their <laughs> male horse to a cold area, the testicles will shrink due to the cold temperature. Did you try that out? Uh, I can't say I've done that specifically, but I have observed <laughs> horse testicles. Yes. And that was something to behold. <laughs> something to behold. <laughs> and your your horse definitely it shits a lot. So <laughs> Yeah, it does. Like all the time. Oh man. The development for this game began back in 2010 and actually wow, took really? eight years to finish. Yeah. Holy smokes. I thought they would have at least given themselves a break or so for the year. No. Yeah. It, they said it just took, they eventually ended up developing over eight years. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's crazy to think about. A lot of the same people work on a lot of the same games. So I'm sure that like when, you know, Grand Theft Auto six or five was coming out, they were kind of focusing on that, but also doing the you know music for this or whatever. Uh, but yeah, that, that's, they said they started up in 2010, which is when I think 2010 is when the first one came out. So they were ready to go right afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, returning characters from Red Dead Redemption, the 20. Oh, yeah. 2010 version uh, include protagonist John Marston, his wife, Abigail. Uh, she's now uh, Abigail Roberts. Uh, John's son, Jack Marston, uncle Dutch uh, and Bill Williamson, Javier and Edgar Ross. Uh, of those characters. I'd have to say I wanted to see more about Uncle, but we really didn't get much more about Uncle. Not really, no. He was more of a background character than a primary character. He's kind of a weird character. I'm not really, I don't know what to think of it. <laughs> Why is he around? I guess they just tolerate him. I, yeah, he's, yeah, not you know, maybe really he's a like choice. They, they can't fool. Like he keeps them entertained or something. Basically, I think that's the case for them. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> he's always, he's always been intriguing to me. Uh, I would, I do have to say though, like it was really great to see those characters again from uh, Red Dead One to see how they were before the game. So rewarding. It yeah. was, yeah, that was a great personal payoff. Yeah. Uh, one of the animals in the games is the possum, uh, which is famously plays dead when you approach it. If the player has auto aim switched on, Arthur won't aim his weapon at the gun at the possum when he comes up because the he thinks the possum is already dead. Oh, interesting. Didn't know that. That's pretty, that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what this game is. Just little details that make it so real. I love it. Yeah. All right. We have a couple more here. During the standoff scene where characters side with Dutch or they'll sign with uh, and Micah uh, or they'll sign with John and, and Arthur. Sorry. Uh, Javier is not pointing his gun directly at them. This was uh, done deliberately by the actor Gabriel Sloyer who didn't believe Javier would ever point his gun at his brothers. Rockstar initially hmm. fought him on this, but eventually Sloyer won. So Javier, they made it to where basically Javier was like, look, you guys are wrong, but I'm not going to point your gun at my gun at you because you are my brothers. Yeah, he was like a true neutral character, I think, out of the entire gang. Very interesting idea. And I like the fact that, that the actor kind of like, this is what my character would do. And they, mm -hmm. they honored it. They were cool with that. That's cool. I can see that, yeah. Lastly, despite what, what many players have tried, it is completely impossible to prevent Arthur from getting tuberculosis, to cure Arthur's tuberculosis, or to prevent Hosea uh, or Lenny from being killed. That kind of makes sense, yeah, given the story beats. 
if there was a way to cure Arthur, I would find my save and go back. <laughs> yeah, no they have way. so many doctor's places you can visit. I don't know. But no cure for tuberculosis. No that tonics? You can buy. <laughs> I can't find a tonic somewhere. <laughs> oh, Unfortunately. Man. man, Kyle, it's been a blast. I'm so happy you came on to talk about this. I've been itching to talk about this game, man. I just love this game so much. Yeah, I do have to say, uh, this is a game that, you know, during my pushing podcast, uh, pushing buttons podcast days, uh, it was definitely one Robert I wanted to talk more in depth of, but unfortunately it just never happened. And I'm really glad I had this opportunity to discuss this with you. I really, a lot of fun. I really appreciate you coming on, man. That's been great. Uh, pushing buttons. Is that still active? So people can go check it out. Oh no, there's just no revival anytime soon. Not, not, not <laughs> revival, but it's still available for people to listen to is what I mean. Oh, Oh, well, yeah. If you're curious, I mean, uh, we still have the YouTube channel up, so don't go to the new one. Yeah, that's not us. Go to the one from 2018. That's us. Blue logo with a white controller, guys. Check out pushing buttons. That was yes. a real fun front running guys out there. Uh, but you can get some currents, Kyle. If you check out his stream, can you give a plug for your stream? Uh, yeah, I do stream when I feel like it. Yeah. Uh, at the moment, it's not too often, but Twitch.tv/slash Monumentous Kyle, and you may have to type that out, Frank. For their reference, <laughs> I will. It'll be in the links below, guys. Monumentous okay, Kyle. There you go. Yeah. Um, so you guys make sure to check that out. He does stream sometimes. When he does, it's always fun. He's the one that got me hooked on Hellblade. Uh, so and actually, I think Celeste. I bought Celeste because I was watching you stream it too. Actually, uh, wait, Hellblade. I think that was Kevin. Was it Kevin? I thought it was you. That was that was Kevin that streamed it. Now I'm not. Oh God! You know how often I call them <laughs> Kevin or Kyle back and forth, and now I'm getting their streams mixed up too, guys. It's embarrassing. <laughs> All right, guys, that's going to be it for us. Thank you for hanging out, guys. We really appreciate it. Uh, we we did the votes, and you guys voted for Assassin's Creed Origins. is going to be our next one. Uh, that'll come out in December. We have to play nice. that one still. <laughs> that one that one I have to finish still, so that, that's going to take a bit. But yeah. All right, guys, thank you again. We'll see you guys later. Bye. Take it easy.